0: You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. But we continue on today in our study of the gospel of Luke. And we come to a passage that has a lot of layers to it. And sometimes it's... it's misunderstood simply because it's in some ways a hard passage to understand, but it's such a great passage for us as a church family to look at and wrestle with and think about and consider together because it directly relates to celebrating what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do in our hearts and lives as individuals and as a church family. So we're gonna just dive right on into this. I'm gonna start reading from Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 14. So if you have a tablet or a phone or whatever electronic device you use to read scripture, get that out, turn it on, pull it up. If you're old school like me and you still read a hard copy Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 11. And as we read this together, this is what I want you to watch for. What is the kingdom of God all about? because that's what this passage will bring to life for us once again. So let me read this to you. Luke chapter 11, 14 through 28. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest, but it doesn't find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So what does this tell us about the kingdom of God? Well, for starters, in the opening verse here, in verse 14 and in verse 15, there's some things that are said that if we're honest with ourselves, at least for some of us, will cause us to check out a little bit because it starts talking about demons and it talks about Beelzebul. And some of you need to do some business with this from the onset and we've spoken to this as we've looked, gone through the Gospel of Luke, but this is a reality that we need to keep in mind. Spiritual warfare is real. There is a spirit world that most of the time we cannot see. And you start reading in the Bible about demons and people being controlled and possessed by demons, and, you know, it makes you think of The Exorcist or some other kind of movie like that. But, but this is, is reality. Because for some of you, you put this sort of thing up there with the Abominable Snowman and the Loch Ness Monster and uh, the Boogeyman, Bigfoot, although we're not sure if he's real or not. We're good Northwesterners. But all the rest, for spiritual warfare, we tend to land demons and spiritual warfare and the realities that are being talked about here in other passages of the scripture. We take the spirit world and we drop it sometimes between you know, the boogeyman and Bigfoot. We either don't believe it's real, we're going, yeah, yeah, probably not. It is. In fact, what's on display here is there are a number of powers at work In our world. In fact, what it can be distilled down to is there's two powers in this world there's God's power, and there is Satan's power. And so this crowd is accusing Jesus of casting out demons by Satan's power. And it also says that others of them are testing him, not because they truly want to know, but because they don't believe in who he is. And it's really important for us to understand there is a chasm of difference between unbelief and doubt. Doubt is honestly wrestling with, struggling with, processing, spin cycling, trying to figure out something. And maybe you don't believe, but at least you're trying to figure things out. Doubt is not a sin. Doubt isn't brokenness. In fact, the starting place for faith Ironically, is doubt. The first step towards truly believing in who Jesus says he was and who Scripture declares him to be is to be honest with yourself and acknowledge, I don't believe, but I'm willing to wrestle with it. That's doubt. Unbelief is something very, very different. Unbelief is not struggling to believe, it's saying by your words or your actions, I won't believe. God has seemingly endless patience for those who doubt. God has very limited patience for those who will not believe. And that is what's on display here. They're not testing him because they really want to know. They don't believe he is who he says. He is, and so Jesus now is going to begin to systematically dismantle their argument that he is casting out demons by Satan's power, and first he appeals to this reality. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. Some realities with this. As many of you know, Jamie and I run quite often, almost every day, and on our route where we run, there's this car that's always parked out on the street, and you know, when you run by the same things daily, you begin to notice this stuff, and it has this bumper sticker in the back window, and it has this University of Oregon symbol, and then it has this OSU symbol, and it says, a house divided. (laughs) Guess where that comes from? This passage. But that infers that they can still get along and live in the same house. And some of you as Duck fans are going, "Uh uh-uh, no, no. And some of you Beaver fans are going, no, not in my house. Regardless, this is the point of what this is saying. There are two different teams on display here. There is God's team, there is Satan's team. And Jesus is basically appealing logically to them, saying, if I'm on Satan's team, do you really think he wants me to cast his demons out of people? It doesn't make sense. But then he goes after this line of argument. Okay, so if you're saying, I cast out demons by Satan's power, then who do your followers cast out demons by? Because we know that there were Jewish exorcists who were casting out demons as well. And so now... The folks who are testing Jesus are, are in a bind because do they really want to say that their own fellow Jews are using Satan's power? So he once again shows them there's different teams here and I'm not on the team you think I am. But then he shows exactly what team he's on. He says, I cast out demons by the finger of God. And any Jew with any type of Old Testament frame of reference would have immediately recognized that language and gone back to the Exodus, the second book in the Bible, Exodus 8.19, where in history, as we know, when the Israelite people were basically held captive, enslaved by the Egyptians, God freed them through Moses, and one of the things that he had Moses do was a series of plagues to demonstrate his power over them and to demonstrate his power over Pharaoh. Three plagues in, the plague of gnats, all the magicians and really these guys who were tapping into demonic power to try to go toe to toe with Moses and with God, basically backed up and said, this is the finger of God. This is a power we cannot match or equal. And that's exactly the point that Jesus is making here. The power that he has over Satan as Jesus is bringing his kingdom, is not the same power Satan's and it's not equal power. It's not even a contest. And then he tells a story about this strong man guarding his stuff. Well, who is the strong man in Jesus' story? It's Satan. And it talks about God coming in and basically plundering, taking what belongs to Satan. And this is a really powerful statement, and it's actually quite offensive, because it basically says, there is no middle ground. You're either on God's team, or you're on Satan's team, because remember how Matt's sermon ended last week in the passage that he looked at with us, and it was an unbelievable sermon. If you haven't heard it, you really do need to go back and listen to it. But the sermon ends with this. This is what precedes our passage today. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what is being said here? And what is Jesus emphasizing with what he went on to say after this story? is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. What are the possessions that Jesus is stealing and taking that actually rightfully belong to him but he's taking them back from Satan? It's you and it's me. Apart from Jesus Christ, we all start out in the same place. We're all broken, we're all self-centered, self-focused because we live in this broken world. None of us starts out on God's team, nobody, that's rather offensive, it gets worse, because Jesus goes on to say this, he then tells this story, which again, can be hard to understand, but he talks about this, this demon coming out of a person, and going to arid places, and then coming back to a house that's swept, and put in order, and, and what's, what's that all about? Well, Jesus is basically saying here, and listen very carefully, you do not enter the kingdom of God through your behavior. This is talking about someone who does some spring cleaning in their lives. Somehow, through accessing whatever power, they change their behavior. They, They change on the outside, but what he's talking about is the inside hasn't changed. And this is a little troubling and kind of offensive too because we live in a culture that says, basically, we're all good people. Basically, I'm I'm a good person and, and we live in this culture that has rejected absolute truth and therefore, who are you to say that I'm not a good person? I'm better than you or I'm better than the next person. This is really quite offensive. You're saying that Good is not good enough. That is exactly the point because it's not a deep enough change. The empty house that Jesus is describing here, the clean house rather, that gets cleaned up and swept and put in order is the person who we would all look at on the outside because of their behavior and say, well, that's, that's a good person. And Jesus says, no, actually it's not. Because good people become prideful people, proud people. That's why good is is not good enough because if you think you are a good person, one of two things happens inevitably. Number one, you begin to think you're better than other people around you And you divide the world into us and them, and this is pretty easy for us to recognize most of the time, because we see it in empty religion. Empty religion is very condemning, and it says, you know, I'm better than you, and there's good people like me, and then there's bad people like you, and okay, that's that's empty religion, and that's where good people can tend to go. Or they go to the other side, and that is they never quite know if they're good enough, An empty religion appeals to that. Do this, do that, and maybe that'll make you okay with God. Well, no. Jesus is saying, yeah, no. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The gospel isn't about changing your behavior or even making you into a quote-unquote good person. This is about completely changing you from the inside out. Someone in the crowd hears this message, and basically what this lady says is, God bless you for your Jewish genes. And Jesus, once again, makes this the gospel for all people and says, no, blessed are all those who enter the kingdom of God, which is accessible to everybody, Jewish or not. So let's back up for a minute. What in the world is this saying? It's saying a lot, for sure. The first is this, the kingdom of God is all about power. There are lots of sources of power And intuitively, we get this. There is something that motivates us, compels us, drives us, causes us to strive for what we strive for, to do what we do, to be who we are. And the ironic thing about power is whatever power we think we possess actually possesses and controls us. The Bible puts it this way. In other words, we're all a slave to something. And in our brokenness, in our selfishness, in our bent to make life all about us, we can end up taking good things and making them into ultimate things and looking to them for power. And we do this in so many different ways apart from Jesus and in our, in our brokenness. Now I know that the latest superhero movie is Infinity War, okay? That just came out. But the movie that preceded that was called Justice League. And it's been out of theaters for some time. You can watch it on Netflix, Redbox, whatever. But there's a part in that movie in Justice League where the Batman is with one of the other superheroes who is just about to join the team, and Batman's surrounded by all these people with all these amazing powers. And this other superhero is riding in his Batman car, this really cool car, and he basically says in this defining moment in the movie, Hey Batman, what's your power? What's your superpower? Now without hesitation, Batman looks at him and says, I'm rich. That's where he gets all these toys. And that's basically his power, is his money. So that he builds and has all these really cool toys and gear and stuff. Is there power in money? Absolutely there is. And there's a reality that Jesus is surfacing once again in what he's saying here. And it's a hard reality to, to accept, but it is reality. And it's basically this, any power other than Jesus that you turn to will ultimately leave you worse off than when you started. Because what's the deal with money? If money is your power, you will never have enough. Because then it becomes greed. Then you're never satisfied. You always want more. John Paul Getty, who was one of the first billionaire tycoons who was an oil tycoon and a railroad tycoon. He had more money, one of the most richest people who's ever lived in our country. He had more resources than anyone could ever dream to spend in their lifetime. Do you know what he said on his deathbed? I wish I could have made a little more. Any power other than Jesus we pursue will possess us and ultimately leave us in a worse place than when we started. At the end of the day, there are two sources of power in this life. There's God's power or there's Satan's. And Jesus's power is the only power that will bless you and leave you in a better place than before you started because the gospel is all about life change. And that is the point of the story of the evil spirit that leaves and then comes back and sees this house swept clean and. And put in order, there's spring cleaning that's taken place, but there isn't real change that's taken place. What does this look like? What does this mean? Many years ago, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law bought this house in this little town called Elma, which is near the coast, uh, Washington Coast in Washington state. And my father in law was a man who could do anything to a house. Uh, He was crazy gifted. He could do any trade and do it like a craftsman. He would just take these houses and transform them. And they bought this house and began to transform it. And they began to clean it up on the inside and do all this amazing work. And one day when we came to visit them, we noticed that the house was up on Jack's. And it had been lifted entirely off the foundation. And what our father in law, my father in law, Jamie's dad, began to explain to us was as they were looking at the house one day, they realized it was kind of leaning to one side because the foundation needed to be replaced. And so they jacked it up and they completely replaced the foundation and that is the picture of what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus doesn't mean you clean yourself up or you somehow change your behavior and then you enter the kingdom. No one enters the kingdom through good behavior. You enter the kingdom through trusting the Savior. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. Do you remember this? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation or a man who just swept the house. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about repentance. That's the difference. Repentance is not changing behavior. Repentance is about changing your heart. It begins with a change of your mind that then impacts and influences your actions. And what does this practically look like for us? Many years ago, I was at a point in my life where Jamie and I were stuck in some things in our marriage that just were not good. As a pastor, I have no evidence to support this. This is all anecdotally, but it seems like as a pastor over the years, as I've met with Um, couples who are struggling it seems like those years like 5 to 12 really are difficult years in seasons of marriages and we were in that season and quite frankly I was stuck in some sin cycles in my life and just needed some more tools in the tool belt and so I sat down with a professional counselor and I I highly recommend that that at some point in your life you're probably going to come to a point where you feel stuck and the, the purpose, the role of a gifted Christian counselor is to be able to give you tools in your tool belt to continue to grow and become who Jesus has created you to be. And so I sat down with this wise counselor and I'll never forget what she said. She said 80% of dealing with the sin and brokenness in your life is awareness. 80% of the battle is awareness. Now that other 20% can be very, very difficult. But I remember when I first heard that going, really? And the older I've got and hopefully the wiser I've got and the more I understand God's word, I think that's absolutely true and that's what goes to the heart of repentance. Because when we choose to turn away from our brokenness and we choose to trust and follow Jesus by receiving into our hearts as our Lord and Savior, now all of a sudden our inner core has been changed. The Bible calls it our heart. And now you will recognize sin and brokenness In your life. And folks, once we recognize it, then you begin to leverage Jesus' power through his Holy Spirit and your willingness to trust and obey him to begin to change and become who God's created you to be. And there's a profound promise in this passage. It ends with this this promise of blessing. Did you see that final verse? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So, what is the greatest gift that God has ever given you? Okay, let's test drive that promise. He says he's gonna bless us, okay? So how has he blessed you? What's the greatest gift he's given you in your life? You know, I begin to think, well, Jamie, my wife, my best friend, my kids, You, I begin to think through all the other relationships in my life. But what was that passage that we read that preceded ours that ended Matt's sermon last weekend? What is the greatest gift God has given any one of us? Himself. The greatest gift you could ever receive in your life is God, a God who loves you, For those of you who were here last week, this was so deeply meaningful for so many of you. A number of you reached out to Matt and expressed this. Boy, we talked about it in my own family that day. This is Matt with his daughter. And the look of love that was captured in that picture there is so powerful. Because there are a number of you who have no frame of reference for that. We live in a culture statistically where half of all families, Dad is not there. He's left the family, he's he's never been in the family, he's there, but he's passive or emotionally distanced or not engaged. And for so many people they have such an incredibly hard, understandably difficult time understanding what it means to be loved by a father. But do you and I appreciate we have a father who loves us? because of who he is and it's a love that he wants to give us and it's what happens when you enter into the kingdom of God his love begins to transform and change you and therefore you can love extravagantly and generously and sacrificially then you can begin to understand what he talked about in Luke chapter 6 about loving your enemies. Why do we love other people? Even the people who are hard to love, impossible to love because he first loved us. And people who love like that, they bring the kingdom. And folks, you're bringing the kingdom. This is just one example that I wanna share with you from someone in our midst. Good afternoon, Jay. I cannot tell you how much the sermon meant today and in my life just a few years ago. I have held Luke chapter six as the bedrock of my life as my life has changed. It was when my husband of 22 and a half years finally left for his mistress and left our family high and dry. I really began to understand that it was easy to love friends but boy was it hard to love enemies. As I went along the journey of the divorce there were many times that I would remember bless your enemy. I then started to think of what fruit of the spirit that my husband ex-husband was lacking, and I would pray for that fruit to come into his life. I knew that it was going to be really hard to hate him if I was praying for him. I tried to teach the children this. I'm not sure they all understood the meaning of loving your enemy. But today I'm so thankful for the understanding that we are called to love like Christ. I am not near to what Christ's love was, but it's a very clear example of how I should love. Today, after seven years in the courts and way too much money given to lawyers, I can honestly say that the Lord gave me a heart that has been completely healed, and my children have seen the Lord's work in my and their father's life. I am not sure if their father loves Jesus, but my children's father has since apologized to the children for the awful things that he did, and he has apologized to me. I know that I forgave my ex many years ago, but love your enemy is what healed my heart. I cannot thank the Lord enough for healing years of pain. God is my Savior. Is it yours? because Jesus in this passage this morning has made it crystal clear. You're either on his team or you're on Satan's team. And one choice will leave you far worse off than when you started. The other choice will leave you far better off than you could ever imagine. Typically on a celebration Sunday, I will give you examples of how God has used our programs and give you statistics and give you tangibles like that. We very deliberately are not doing that today. We'll work some of that in when we look at more of our story next week with Vision Sunday. But for today, we want this to be a personal celebration of what Jesus has done in your life. I want you to look on those screens behind me. How have you experienced his power in your life? What have you walked away from? What are you walking towards? How are you more like Jesus? And how has He changed your life? Where would your life be without Him? And man, how is He blessing you? So often we focus on what we don't have. Okay, what do you have? What has He done for you? What is He doing in your life? What are you looking forward to? And now that brings us to these cards. As our worship team comes, We have deliberately crafted this time to give you space and a place to reflect and to think and to allow his spirit to speak to you and to reveal these things to you. We're all so busy, we're all going 100 miles an hour and so often we just don't have time to sit and savor and reflect on what God has done for each one of us and then to celebrate that. That's what this time is designed for. So I wanna encourage you. This is just between you and the Lord and only if you want to, but to take this card and to write, how have you experienced this power in your life? How's he changing your life? How's he blessing you? And in just a little while, I'll get back up and invite you to come forward to receive communion. Bring these cards up, leave them on the tables as a sacrifice, as an offering between you and the Lord, as a way to thank him and celebrate what he's done in your life. Let's worship together. Amen. Do you believe that? I hope you do, because we believe in the power of God. We believe in the power of prayer. We have prayer teams off to the sides up here. They would love to pray with you about anything that we can pray for you about. And so often we think about prayers, asking for what we need, and by all means do that, but also go pray with them about what God has done in your life or is doing in your life. Celebrate, be grateful for what he is, for what he's doing, and for what he's going to do because he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins that is our story so let's celebrate that story by living out the power of Jesus Christ and bringing his kingdom to this community that so desperately needs it would you pray with me thank you for each person here Lord, thank you that for those of us who know you and follow you, we are empowered by your spirit to live the very life that you call us to live out. So would we believe you for it? There is blessing in trusting and obeying you, even when it's hard. And Lord, we can do this because you enable us to do this, because you first loved us. So God, the way you've loved us, will you help us to love each other and to love others as we go from here? And we ask this in Jesus' name.